May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and it's also been exactly a year since we had our fourth baby, Harry. So we felt like this would be the perfect time to finally openly talk about everything I experienced last year during a very intense period of postpartum depression. I hope by sharing these experiences that another mom will not feel so alone, that she'll know what some of the signs might be and how things can and will get better, to have the courage to reach out for help and what even was helpful to me. And if you're the friend or loved one of someone struggling with postpartum depression, what you can do to help them too. Hey friends. Hi. It's been a while. It's been a few weeks since we've done an episode. Just you and me, y'all. That is right. uh, This one feels like it's perfectly timed. So we found out a few days ago that May is Mental Health Awareness Month, which is a topic that Neil and I both feel really strongly about for different reasons. But we decided what better like excuse, not that we need an excuse, but reason to talk about what I went through, well, really what we went through as a family and as a couple last year when I had Harry and had a really serious case of postpartum depression that uh, just kind of took our family through a very challenging and life-changing experience, at least for me. And we'll have to get into what that was like for you. But that's what we're going to talk about today. So a year ago, well, as we're recording this, it was a year ago. So Harry was born on May 8th and it was in the middle of a pandemic. And interestingly, even going into it, I feel like I was pretty mentally healthy when he was born. I feel like even though the world was in chaos, I felt just so grateful and relieved that he was born, that I was healthy, that he was healthy, that you were healthy, that you were able to be there for the birth, that everything kind of worked out, notwithstanding the crazy circumstances of the world at the time. And, you know, that first couple of days in the hospital just felt like every other baby that I remember having just baby heaven, you know, so happy, so joyful. And it's really hard for me to remember where that changed. Do you remember? I can't remember. I couldn't, I can't put my finger on it specifically, but I think maybe that lasted for maybe a couple of weeks. And then it seemed like all of a sudden. Yeah. I want to say like a week, maybe even less. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or maybe like I maybe somewhere right in between their ten. Days. It was quick. It yeah, wasn't, it pretty wasn't. quick. And I feel like with each of our babies. So to give you a little bit of background, one of our first episodes we did was on postpartum depression. And at the time, my only experience was with our three girls, and we had had. Well, maybe actually, when we started this podcast, did we have we Millie, Millie too? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So. With my first Annabelle, or with our first, I had postpartum depression, but it was very different from what I experienced with Harry. So uh, I would, you know, and this, I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know what that was. I didn't understand really what the signs were. They give you like a checklist in the hospital, but I, of all, all my experiences with either baby blues or postpartum depression, I've never had that hit me in the hospital. So they give you this checklist that's like, it asks you all these questions that are kind of signs of postpartum depression. And I always, every time I've read that and thought, no, this isn't me. No, I don't identify with that. No, I'm not feeling, I'm, I'm on cloud nine, 10, 11, 12. I'm so happy right now. So, and that's how I felt with Annabelle. I was so in love with her, but, uh, I just remember crying like almost every day. Neil would come home and I would be crying and he would say, what's wrong? And I would say, I don't know. And it was snowing and cold in Utah and it was getting dark at like 4 p.m. So all of our other babies, we've had either spring or summer and that wasn't necessarily planned. It's just kind of how things worked out. So I haven't had necessarily the seasonal challenge of depression, but I, with so with the other two girls, Lila and Millie in the middle, I definitely had a wave of baby blues and that tended, I feel like it would come on after my mom left and, uh, the kind of reality of baby would set in and I would feel kind of weepy and overly emotional for, I don't know, maybe like a month or, you know, five or six weeks, maybe 
maybe, you know what, probably not even quite that long, but at least a few weeks and then it would get better. And that's kind of how it was for the girls in the middle. And then with Harry, gosh, it was just so different. I remember my, and it's like, everything feels really foggy, but I remember talking to my doctor at, well, and we had some challenges too, that we talked about in the birth story with Harry, where I had some physical health challenges right after where a little bit of my incision like popped open that she had to, you know, close back up. And then I was um, having a hard time breathing. There were just some little weird complications that happened that required me to be up and walking around way sooner than normal. And then also they sent me home after two days, which with all my other babies, it's been three or four days. So there just were some challenges that I feel like kind of got me on a head start of having a little bit of a harder time recovering, but then really like the mental health challenge. I just remember feeling like this is not normal. And I was starting to feel really intense feelings of feeling like I had no energy and it wasn't so much a, I'm tired because I have a newborn. It was something totally different where I felt like I had no spark of life or I don't, I don't know. What was it like from your perspective watching? Um, for me, I think it was hard to tell. I mean, obviously you're excited that there's a new baby and then I'm trying to look at things from the perspective of like, okay, you're, it was a C-section. So you're, you're healing from that. There are other complications you talked about. You're trying to figure out like the breastfeeding thing. Um, so there's a lot going on, but I, I think it, it seemed like it was just, from what I saw, it would, you know, it would just be like, well, you're in, you know, you're kind of in your, in your room, you're, you're in a room, you're mm-hmm. kind of locked in there all day. But in my mind, I'm like, oh, well, you're recovering from surgery. That's just how it is. You're watching reruns of TV shows all day, <laughs> like getting through the entire, you know, whatever season of, of your favorite show. Like, so I, I didn't really think too much of it until I think the, the body, your body, you know, started to heal from what I could see and you're up and about, but then the behaviors were still there where it was like, I just, I don't want to do anything or go anywhere. I just don't feel it, just very kind of disconnected. Um, and I think that's where I started to realize like, okay, there's something, something up here. This is starting to set in. Yeah. And it was just like you said, my body was healing and normally with the other babies, it was like, oh, like I can get out now. Like, let's go on a drive or let's go get some food. And it it was weird because it was during the pandemic. But usually by the time that four week or six week mark kind of hits, I'm itching to get out of the house or have an excuse to even just walk around Target or whatever. I had a hard time putting on clothes and getting out of bed and walking downstairs to eat. Uh, and I just felt, I felt a lot of extreme uh, feelings and emotions about just feeling really hopeless, feeling really just super crazy overwhelmed. Kind of like, what was I thinking? I can't do this. Um, I would also have, and this is like kind of a really vulnerable thing to share, but I will in case it helps someone. I had these really extreme fears too. We have this like, um, this, so we have our bedrooms are upstairs and then we have our main floor and there's a pretty steep drop if you were to look over the banister. And anytime I would get Harry out of his room and walk from his room into our room, I would have like extreme fear, like the kind of feeling your heart drop into your stomach, the way a roller coaster would make you feel. I would feel that almost every time I walked in there and picked up this newborn baby and brought him back into our room to breastfeed or whatever. I would feel this extreme fear and like feeling, what if I dropped him, he would die. And just not mentally a hundred percent well. And when I talked to my therapist, which we'll get to in just a second, but you know, she was like, that's very, very normal for what you're going through. And that was helpful to hear that. But, um, okay, sorry. I'm going to try to stay on pace here because there's so much to talk about, but so diagnosing it, I, I knew myself well enough to know I was not okay. And it was not normal. 
And I talked to my doctor about that at my checkup, the scheduled uh, two-week checkup, I think it is. Like the earlier of the two, you have kind of one fairly soon after birth and then the six-week one. And I told her I was struggling, but I I specifically remember at that meeting or, or at that doctor appointment that I was not ready for medication. And the reason why is because I took one of the most commonly prescribed medications for postpartum depression because I went to my six-week appointment. And when my doctor, Dr. Terry, asked me, how are the baby blues? How are you doing? I just started I just broke down and started crying. And I said, and I cry every Annabelle, day right? First, with Annabelle. Yeah, he said, you know, how are you doing? And I said, I cry every day. And he said, there's no need for that. And he gave me this prescription and it helped. It made me feel, I didn't feel that wave of sadness and crying every day, but I also didn't feel anything else. I just felt numb to the world. And I also really struggled with feeling the spirit. That was really hard for me. I just, I didn't feel happy. I didn't feel joyful. I didn't feel those low lows, but I also didn't have any highs. I just kind of felt flatlined. I felt like I was just existing and I hated that feeling. So I told my doctor at that with Harry, I told her, I just, I really don't want to go down that road. If there's, if I can just kind of wait this out or see if it gets better or try other things, I want to do that. So we did, we tried to, Neil was like, let's get you out. We started going on walks. I started getting outside. I would sometimes sit outside in the sun in our backyard or our daughters were taking swimming lessons at a neighbor's pool in the summer. And I would walk over there and sit in the sun and talk to my neighbor who was so wonderful at this time. Just, she was my friend and would just sit and chat with me, but, uh, that didn't, solve it. I would still, I I would do that. And yet I would still finish the day and wake up the next day feeling like I don't even want to get out of bed today. I have no energy. And the thing for me that's really interesting is that it wasn't so much the way it was with Annabelle. Like I'm so sad. I'm so weepy. I can't stop crying. It was, I have no energy. I have and, and it wasn't like I hate my life or I hate my kids or I'm not connecting with the baby. I actually felt like I was bonding with our baby, but I just had zero energy. And it was it it was so foreign to me. I, I was looking at myself. It was almost like an out-of-body experience, watching myself be this person that was laying in bed every day and thinking, this is not me. What is this? But yet I would have to will myself to be like, okay. I got to get up and go to the bathroom or the baby's crying. I can do this. I can get up and I can walk into the room and pick him up and bring him back and I can get right back into bed and then I can feed him. And, and I have enough energy just for that. But a lot of other times, like if I needed a meal, like I had to ask Neil to bring food to me in our bedroom, which is just crazy. If you know me, you know, that's just not me, right? Yeah. That was the weirdest part for me is because I know how obviously being married to you, like how high level performing, like constantly on to the point where I think when we first got married, I, I had to get used to that. I was like, cause for me, we shut off the lights to go to bed. I'm going to bed. <laughs> Good night. But Trin's like up on her phone, like, you know, talking business or what, Hey, what, what do you think about this? Like, how many kids do you think we should have? You know, it's like, well, I'm tr- I'm just, I'm wearing, I'm winding down. Like, so the, the high level, like, so it was so weird to see you in that state where it's completely just like, I just don't even want to get out of my bed. And I don't even like, I just don't just to feel, to see in that, you see you in that state and then recognize like, Whoa, okay clearly it's obvious there's something wrong here and I need to, um, you know, I need to support. And, and so it was having those conversations of like, Hey, you know, let's, let's get you out on a, let's go on a walk. Let's get outside. Let's, yeah. you know, it was, it was obvious that there was something t- t- totally wrong or totally off here. Um, that was very atypical. Yeah. And there were a lot of well-meaning people in my life who, we're kind of like, hey, if you just get some physical exercise or if you just, you know, do this, um, you know, like kind of turn it over to Jesus kind of thing or 
whatever, like you will get past this. And there was part of me that wanted to believe that, that wanted to believe, okay, if I just sit this out a little bit longer, I'm going to wake up and it's going to be all better. And it just wasn't getting better. And in fact, I felt like it was getting worse and worse to the point where I was feeling more and more dysfunctional. And then I started feeling shameful about it. Like, okay, I definitely should be at the point where I feel good enough to be up, be functional. And the more, the longer it went on, the more I just felt like, what is wrong with me? Like, this isn't me. I shouldn't be feeling this way. I don't know what's wrong with me, but I can't seem to figure out how to fix it. But I didn't want to turn to medication. And, and you know, we're even big into, we love essential oils. And I tried that route too. And I won't say that they didn't help because they helped. And with the other girls, with Millie and with Lila, that was enough to really help me kind of get a boost to just like pop back on my feet and start feeling better. And then it went away. But I would say that now having the different experiences to compare and contrast, that was more of a baby blues experience versus true postpartum depression. And at week five, I was just struggling so badly. And I think you gave me a blessing. I think so. Yeah, yeah. And, no, I did. I and talked about getting help and and how, like having the courage to ask for help. And and I think that was my mom's suggestion. Again, it's really hard because I was in such a dysfunctional state. It's hard for me to remember all of the details. But I think my mom had said, have you asked Neil for a blessing? And I was like, no. And then part of me didn't want it because I, if that was the answer, I didn't want to do it yet. Because I didn't, I was resisting so hard getting on any kind of medication because of the experience I had with Annabelle. And I hope for anyone who's listening that you will know that for me at least, and I can only speak from my own experience, what I did next was the best thing I could have done for me. So after Neil gave me that blessing and he said something about having the courage to ask for help I called my doctor the next morning and it was at week five and I had an appointment the, the next week for my six week appointment, but I just knew I couldn't even wait one more week. And I had also researched and knew that getting on any kind of antidepressant, it would take a few weeks to kick in. So the longer I waited, the longer it would be before I could start feeling like myself. So I called her and I told her everything about what my concerns were and how I was having these really intense feelings of fear and anxiety and feeling just extremely low energy. And again, depression, I feel like I've always connected that word with, I feel so sad, or I've heard of people not be, you know, quote, I can't get out of bed and thinking, oh, they're so sad that they're crying all day. It was not like that at all. There was not a traumatic event that made me feel super sad. It was just like, I have no energy to do anything. So anyway, I called her and I expressed my concerns about the medication that I had had after my first baby. And she said, let's try something else. So she put me on Lexapro and it did not kick in right away. It took a couple weeks before I even started feeling any kind of difference. So that's one thing that's really important to note. But another thing too is, um, she said, I really want you in talk therapy at least once a week, if not more. And I was like, I don't need that. Like there's no traumatic event. There's no big thing that I'm mourning or grieving or having a hard time with. I just don't have any energy. So I think I just maybe need the medication, even though I don't want it. I think that's going to help me. And she said, no, I really need you to talk to someone. And I thought, this doesn't make any sense to me, but okay, I'll listen to my doctor. And so, and we've done a lot of therapy and I know that there's, you know, good therapy and bad therapy out there. And, you know, I asked around and I found an incredible therapist who my mom recommended and so she started doing phone sessions with me. And right after the first session, I was like, okay, now I see. Because it wasn't about, well, what's making you sad? She, and you know, every therapist may do this differently, but my therapist said, I need you to tell me about your whole day. I need you to tell me all the responsibilities you have. And then she was like, you need to start taking things off of your plate. So she <laughs> went through and said, you know, we were talking about my different things that I am worried about or try, was trying to figure out in total survival mode. And she was like, nope, someone else can do this. Nope, you need to outsource that. Nope, 
get someone else to do that. And I would highly encourage anyone who is questioning whether you need talk therapy and you've been recommended by your provider or by people who love you. If, if people are telling you to try that, like go try it and (laughs) get that help because it was incredibly helpful for me to start talking to someone and it made me not feel crazy. It made me not feel alone. She validated a lot of the emotions and thoughts and feelings that I was going through at the time. And she helped me to see, okay, because you are in this state of mind right now, you cannot do what you normally do. And she helped me to accept where I was at and that I had a very small gas tank, which we can talk about in a second. But what did you see from your side? Because I, again, have a hard time remembering what it was like after I started talking to Karen. Yeah. Well, it was understanding a little bit of what I was seeing because it was, I saw that again, you're just, it was so atypical to see you just Mm -hmm. sit and even just watch TV for a long period of time. Like you hardly would ever do that. Usually it'd be like, you'd be on your computer doing something or working (laughs) while, while there's a show that you're watching or something, but never just sitting there watching a TV for like hours on end. And so it was clear and just, just, I could, you can just tell, you just feel it. So it was really weird, but to hear when you started explaining what she was talking about, and explaining the concepts of like, okay, you only have so much to work with as far as energy or ability to, to complete things. It's, it, it made sense. And I, it was, it was obvious at that point. I'm like, yeah, I totally see it. Yeah. It's, you know, what's crazy is I don't even really remember cause you're bringing up the, now that you bring up the TV and me binge watching <laughs> different things, I faintly remember that, but I was so out of touch with what was going on around me or whatever. It's like, all of that is fuzzy. And the sad thing too is those early memories and that time that I usually just love so much with my babies. I feel like I lost that with Harry. And I feel like that's something that I really feel sad about when I think back that I feel like I wasn't able to really enjoy him because I wasn't myself. And I had a conversation with a good friend about that and about how she was talking about some motherhood experiences that she feels like she's been robbed of for different reasons in her life and how we were like, I think Heavenly Father is going to make this up to us someday in heaven and we'll get those moments back or something. But anyway, um, so the small gas tank, I really want to talk about that. So my therapist really had to teach me, you have a very small gas tank. And if you use that up, doing things that other people could help you out doing, you will not have enough room to take care of yourself or to feed this baby. And she would tell me over and over, your mental health and wellness has to come first. It has to come first and then Harry's second and everything else has to come after that. Because if you do not take care of your health and wellness, then you will not, you will be completely unavailable for everything else in your life. So. I had to start taking that really, really seriously and asking for help and accepting help. We accepted more meals than we ever have before in our lifetime of anything else. And I was kind of embarrassed of it, but I also, it was, I was so grateful to our church family and to our neighbors. Our neighborhood set up this meal train and it was just incredible. I mean, I was somewhat embarrassed for how long we accepted meals, but also just extremely grateful because that took such a huge burden off of me while I was in those first stages of being very, very not myself, you know, and not enough energy to even walk downstairs and make myself a piece of toast, let alone make a meal for everyone. Another thing that she taught me that was so important and she would remind me of this over and over was the more you fight this, the worse it will get. And I remember that was really hard for me when it came to work because with Millie at about week four or five, or let's see, I think we planned a month maternity leave. And at week three, yes, at week three, I was like, okay, 
I'm bored. I'm laying around. I'm ready to start checking my emails. I'm ready to kind of like ease back into work. And I was ready by week four to mentally do at least like a half day of work. You know, I was excited. I was itching to get back in. Uh, we hit my six week mark, which I think is what we planned, right? For my maternity leave with Harry. I think so, yeah. And we just, and I couldn't, I actually didn't even attend this meeting. I told Neil, you're going to need to have a meeting with the team and tell them where I'm at and tell them this is good. It's going to be a, a minute before I'm available to come back. So we extended my maternity leave and just had my team continue to take things over and Neil really worked with them. And I'm so grateful that we had extremely capable, talented, wonderful people on our team who helped. But that was another thing where I just had to let that go and realize that if I didn't take care of my health and wellness first, that I would never be the, the more I resisted that and tried to push things and make them happen before my body was ready for them to happen and my mind and my mental health, the worse it would get. It's not like I could just force myself into all of a sudden getting better. Yeah. No, this reminded me of like, as we were talking and, and thinking back to these times, like I would, I would go out on, you know, bike rides or whatever. And in the mornings mm -hmm. um, at different times, and I listen to these conference talks. It's kind of my thing. There's a, just an, an incredible talk or speech by one of the leaders of our church, uh, Jeffrey R. Holland. It's called like a broken vessel. And mm -hmm. so he addresses this topic of mental health and he kind of gives all of these different, uh, this inputs or, um, kind of pulls everything together. And I remember having you, I was like, Hey, you should, you should listen to this talk or read this talk. Yeah. And he addresses so much of this where he talks about, um, you know, if, if you don't take time to be well now, you'll take time to be sick later. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you should seek, you know, spiritual strengthening and, and, and help, but also from competent medical professionals. And he talks a little bit about that, um, and, and really addressing, um, that concept of, you know, the idea of like, Hey, just, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and, um, you know, work harder, so to speak, and yeah. work your way out of it. And, and so he speaks to that and he talks about, you know, how it's, how it's different when there's, a, a major emotional challenge or men mental challenge or whatever it is, but just the overall concepts of mental health in general. Um, and I'll, you know, we'll link to this in the show notes. That talk is amazing, but it just kind of came to my mind as we were talking about it. I remember having that moment and, you know, kind of like, Hey, you should listen to this talk again. Or if you haven't listened to it, um, where he talks a lot about these different things of like the gas, you know, well, he doesn't say gas tank, but he, he speaks to a lot of the solutions that, you know, you work through and figured out. Yeah. And it's not like I figured them out or, you know, mastered learned, this or anything, I guess, but I did. Way. I learned a lot. I feel like we learned a lot as a family. One of the most valuable things that I think that I learned was, and anytime you go through a major life challenge, I feel like at least for me, I learn a lot about uh, judgment versus acceptance and understanding and compassion. And I remember having this huge aha moment where I realized that when I watched you go through grief with Dave and there were so many times where you would kind of be like glossed over, have this like glossed over look or be kind of staring out into space or whatever. And, and there was a lot of that going on after Dave died. And I was kind of like, Hey, come on, like be present. We're talking about like, I was so like, go, go, go mode you know, my type A personality and wanting to just be intense about work or be, um, a go-getter. And, and Neil seemed really emotionally and mentally disconnected. And I didn't, I was not patient with him. It's not like I was like yelling at you or anything, but I kind of was like, Hey, let's go, let's talk about this. And looking back, realizing, I mean, I think that there was a moment where I realized, wow, I, was not compassionate. I was not understanding and that I apologize to you for that. Yeah. No, that was really cool. I, I think I could tell, um, after you had gone through that experience that that was something that you, you know, came to realize. And I think during that time, I still wasn't figuring out and really seeing like that grief component and how that was affecting me. I just was like, man, I, I just feel like this all the time, but, but no, that was really cool. I, I really appreciated that and, 
And when you came to me and basically just said, Hey, look, I, after going through this, I understand you can't just click it back on and yeah. be just, you know, get back into what we're doing and, and totally be a hundred percent like just by snapping your fingers. And that was really cool. I, I really appreciated that. Well, I just think that going through this really serious postpartum depression with Harry taught me a lot. And Karen told me, my therapist said, you will never be the same after this. And, and that was a good thing, you know, that I would learn things about myself and about others that I would never unlearn, you know, and I feel that way. I feel like, while I don't understand every type of or level of depression, I understand so much better than I did before. And it's funny. I, I feel like maybe we've talked about this on the podcast, but I remember right before I had Harry, I was watching an episode of this is us. And I, Toby is laying in bed and he had gone off his meds, his, um, anti-depression medication because they were trying to get pregnant. And he was just laying in bed pretty like incapacitated because he was not on his medication. And he was, you know, his wife was like, Hey, do you want to go on a walk? Like, let's take the dog for a walk. And he was like, no, I don't feel like it. And I just remember thinking at that point, like, wow, like what would ever make someone just want to lay in bed all day? Like what a miserable way to live your life. It was so, I just didn't get it. You know, I didn't get it. I had never been there until I was there, that person laying in bed, feeling like I can barely go downstairs. Um, Another thing I really wanted to mention is we had this sweet girl that uh, was home for the summer, a college student, and I hired her for extra help with our kids. With um, It was kind of at the point where I was like, okay, I, I do have to work a little bit, but I need as many sets of hands of help around here as I can possibly get. And it was super helpful. And yet I was so embarrassed to have her in our home and to go downstairs day after day in my, you know, moo house dress with my, you know, no makeup and just looking like a mess day after day. And she was so sweet and so kind. And I look back at that time and I was just felt so much shame. I didn't really want to be around anyone, which was pretty easy because nobody could go anywhere because of the pandemic that almost made that situation not easier, but like less pressure in that way where maybe for other people, it would feel, you might feel that pressure of, oh my gosh, like, you know, I should be out or going to church with my family or showing up to events or being in public. And it was so uncomfortable for me to be around someone who was, looked to me like healthy and put together. And, and I, I don't know, I guess the reason I bring that up is I feel like it's, there's such an element of shame and of, oh my gosh, if people see me this way, they will never think the same of me. They'll think I'm such a mess. They'll think I'm so like a bad mom or whatever. And I look back on how I was feeling in that moment. And I have so much compassion for myself in that moment of feeling so ashamed of just looking like a mess and yet seeing that I just needed to learn. There was something that Heavenly Father needed me to learn in that like really broken down, humbled state. And I think I did learn a lot of compassion and understanding for others, for myself, for hopefully other people that I love who maybe will go through this someday. And, and I think for this platform too, I hope that by sharing this and some of these really raw details that someone else who maybe is going through this or might find themselves going through this someday can know that this will end. And that was one of my favorite things that my therapist would tell me too. She would say, you will not be this way forever. You will get back to yourself. This will end eventually. Um, And I kind of didn't really believe her when she would say that. It was kind of in one ear and out the other. But now I'm like, yeah, it did end. And just last week I had a checkup with my doctor and I'm so grateful too. My doctor was super on top of keeping me coming back to her office every 
two to three months just to check up on things. How are you feeling? How are you doing? Do we need to adjust anything? And it's been pretty much exactly a year. Harry's birthday is this week. And I finally said to her, I think I'm ready to come off of these meds. And I feel like I feel good. I feel like myself again. I finally feel like I mentally, at least I'm back to me. And uh, I also told her, and this is, I feel like people feel like they need to tiptoe and dance around this topic, but I'm just going to be honest about it. I feel like the one area that I'm not myself is, um, I have not been able to get back to my, the, the weight or the size or whatever that I was before I had Harry. And usually by this time, I'm feeling more like myself physically. And I asked my doctor, do you think it's because of the Lexapro? And she said, yeah, I do. And I just looked at her and said, you know what? It was worth it. It was worth it for me to have my mental health. And um, now I'm in a place where I can prioritize, you know, some of those other things like eating healthy and exercising more. And, and as I slowly like, and carefully take myself off of this medication, then that might be able to help me go feel like I'm getting back to my normal self. And I know that's such a touchy, super controversial subject, but I just want to be honest about it, that there were, there were give and take things like having to ask for more help and knowing that it was going to take me a little bit longer to feel like myself physically, but that my mental health had to come first. And I have no regrets about that. And I know I did the right thing, prioritizing that. Um, and that whatever, yeah, whatever the Lord needed me to learn from this, that I feel like I'm grateful that I'm a better, more compassionate, more understanding person because of going through this. Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's just the seminary teaching or whatnot, but I just, all these conference talks keep, keep coming to mind. There's another one, another Jeffrey R. Holland. This guy is amazing. Um, but somebody actually is one of somebody that follows you on Instagram. Um, I think they, you know, DM'd you and just, it was right after my brother died and I was going through, you know, tough times and, and they recommended this talk and we were driving somewhere and we listened to it and it, it just was one of those kind of hidden gems that you're like, wow, this is just so amazing. But, um, it's, it's lessons learned in Liberty jail. I think oh, is the name of the talk so by Jeffrey you know, R. Holland. You know who that was? Who was it? It was Melissa, our friend, Melissa. Thank you, Melissa. Doesn't surprise me. She's so cool. Those guys are awesome. Um, but so powerful and it, just the basic concept is, um, you know, he says something to the effect of we can have them, you know, powerful, spiritual, uh, spiritually enlightening experiences, um, sacred experiences in the most miserable mm -hmm. points and times of our lives. And he, he references this example with um, the prophet Joseph Smith and being in, in Liberty jail, which was just the horrible circumstances and yet he receives these amazing revelations and God tells him, uh, you know, all these, these really amazing things that, that they later, you know, canonized in scripture. Um, but just as, as we, as I'm hearing you talk about this experience and then, you know, going through the experience that I went through, it's incredible to see the lessons and the things that we can learn and, and how we can even have sacred experiences in the midst of just the most challenging, difficult and grueling, emotional, mental, physical, whatever circumstances that we're in. Um, so yeah. that's just something that came to my mind was that, was that talk. And it was, it was awesome when we listened to that super helpful. A couple more things I just want to quickly mention before we wrap this up, big events, big travel, like going anywhere, yes. um, things like that were really, really hard on me during this time. And uh, I would kind of think, okay, here's, here's what I'm trying to say. As I started to feel better on the medication and I, as I started to figure out what I was capable of or how much I could handle, I would have a day or two where I would be like, oh, I feel more like myself. And then I would try to push things too hard and then it would catch up to me. And that postpartum depression would bring me to a screeching halt. And that happened a few times. And one of the times was when, we went to Utah for your dad's birthday. I think so. Yeah, for your dad's birthday. Yeah. And it was family stuff, you know, going to family events, being around family, 
dealing with tricky family dynamics in your family and mine. (laughs) And by the end of that trip, I had kind of an episode where I was sitting on the floor crying because I didn't have the energy to put my pants on. And I know that sounds so dramatic and it sounds like some movie scene that I'm making up, but it's not made up. I, I had worn myself so thin and, and was running on fumes. If you imagine a true gas tank, I had run it empty and was running on fumes for a couple of days to the point where it, it caught up with me. And I don't even remember how we got out of there, but I really was like, I can't move. I'm, and there were a couple of times where that happened, that it happened then. And it also happened, was it Black Friday weekend? Yeah. Where we had to call my therapist because I told Neil, I feel like I can't move. I feel like I'm frozen. And so there just were a couple of times where I felt like, oh, I'm getting better. I feel more like myself. I think I can do more. And I wasn't respecting the small gas tank. And I pushed myself too hard and too far while I was still needing to be careful. And um, it caught up with me. So that that's one thing that I really... And it goes back to that, like the more you fight it, the worse it will get. And so instead of respecting um, when my body gave me signs of like, oh, I'm feeling really overwhelmed. I'm feeling worn down. I tried to push it harder. I tried to say, no, I can push through this. And every time that was a bad idea. So, um, you know, that was one thing I really, really learned. And I think that even while I'm feeling better and as I'm kind of transitioning out of this phase of feeling like I have postpartum depression, I just think that's a valuable lesson for anyone to learn with your mental health or your well-being. that if you feel like you're feeling really overwhelmed, the, the next thing to do is not let me push myself harder, which is what a lot of people do. What's what I do, you know, in an automatic um, fight or flight kind of situation. And I learned that that was not a, not a wise choice for me. And this is the one other thing too, that I just, I do not want to leave this topic without sharing that I had one friend Gosh, this is going to make me really emotional. And I talked about this in the interview with um, Jane Clayson Johnson, but I had one friend who she had been through this herself and she would call me and say, Hey, let's, or text me, say, Hey, let's go, let's go walking today. And a lot of times I would just tell her, I can't today. Sorry. And my, I can't today wasn't like, I can't because I've got other stuff going on. There were a lot of those times where I was like, I can't even put on clothes and go downstairs. And the key, the thing that I'm so grateful for that makes me emotional when I think about this is that she didn't take that first or second rejection and just say, oh, she doesn't want to be bothered. And I've done this. I've done it. I still catch myself wanting to do it sometimes where I'm like, oh, this person doesn't like me or they're, I'm, they must have other best friends that they want to go to. This friend, my friend, Amy, she wasn't, she and I were not like best friends before this happened. In fact, this is the experience that made her one of my closest friends, but she just didn't give up on me. She would wait a you know a few days or wait a week and then text me again. Hey, do you want to go walking today? Like, hey, let's get you out. And she just didn't give up on me. And I'm so grateful for that. And um, if you are listening to this and you know someone going through this, don't give up on them. Like touch base with them. If they're not feeling up to it, respect that for sure. But keep coming back and keep asking them, hey, do you want to get out today? Do you want to go whatever? Or, you know, keep giving them chances to have a better day because that's what I needed. And I I literally had one friend who did that for me. And I'm so grateful for her that she didn't say, oh, she must be good or she must not. Maybe she doesn't like me or maybe she's bothered that I keep asking her. She had the confidence to keep saying, hey, how about today? and it was one of the things that saved me. It was so meaningful to me and I will be grateful forever for her persistence in not doing something elaborate for me, but just being a friend and just not giving up. And she kept coming back and she kept checking back and it just has meant the world to me. And so I I strive to want to be that friend for other people now, knowing what that meant to me. So anyway, say something totally. wise while I get over my crying, <laughs> say please. something wise. <laughs> well, that, that it brings up, a, I think, from a the perspective, I've noticed them um, as I've gone through different challenges that are, you know, grief or losing a family member to suicide or addiction or something that is really challenging 
I think what I what I'm noticing is when someone around me goes through something the same or similar, after being having gone through those instances myself, there's a lot more confidence in reaching out to somebody. Like initially, if I, you know, if I had kind of like, oh my gosh, I don't know what to say. Like, that's just such a, I've never been in that situation before. But like, as you go through these things, I think you, you do gain this confidence to where it's like, you know what? Like, no, I'm not afraid to reach out and be like, Hey, how are you doing? And, yeah. and let's, let's get out or let's, and kind of having that confidence and knowing, you know, maybe not perfectly, but, but having some sense of what to, to say or what not to say. Um, and I think in that way, the things that we go through can enable us to, to just be tremendous blessings in other people's lives. And I think of, I think of this person that, that came over and I think of Amy, you know, and, and I think, you know, having gone through some of those things herself, like there's that confidence there and, and what a blessing that is, you know? And so I think that's one thing too, that, um, going through these experiences and I've noticed this, you know, Corinne with you is that it's, it's, it's not all for naught. Yeah. That, that there is a reason. And oftentimes that reason is to one, obviously get through it and overcome it yourself, learn some lessons. But, um, if that was just it, man, what a, you know, what a shame, like you can help so many other people, especially if you have like a really unique challenge that someone else is going through. It's like, you have a unique understanding and and can really help people. And, and I feel like that, that is kind of the essence of, or, or one of the main parts of going through some of these seriously challenging situations is to be able to help others. Yeah. So true. Um, one last thing that I keep, I feel like I keep saying that, but one other thing that I feel like was an important lesson that I learned with one of those like running on empty gas tank scenarios was when we called my therapist and said, I'm having, I'm having kind of this, like, I'm, I feel frozen. I'm stuck episode where I, I truly felt like I couldn't move any of my muscles and I was frozen in place. Uh, she asked Neil, has she had anything to eat today? And I hadn't eaten anything since that morning. And it was like eight or 9 PM. And so she said, she needs some food right now, complex carbs, you know, something, something green, something that's a carb. So that was something too, that I learned from that. Like you can't combine a mental health issue with not eating. Like that's just not good for you. At least it wasn't for me. That was a, that was a deadly combo. And I still try to be careful of that. And so that was one thing that I had to be mindful of and respectful of was making sure that I was fueling my body with good things and eating regularly and not forgetting to eat on days that I felt like, oh, I finally have energy and I finally feel like myself. I'm going to go a million miles an hour and not even stop to eat. Like I, I learned that I couldn't do that. So that was important for me to learn too. And I'm sorry that my thoughts are so scattered, but this is one other thing that I wanted to address is that I remember sleeping a lot in the beginning too. I remember that even when Harry started sleeping through the night, <laughs> which he started, he slept through the night at, um, gosh, what was it? Six weeks or something. It was pretty early on. And I still would wake up, feed him, be up for a few hours. And then I would nap a couple of times a day for like a couple hours and then sleep a lot at night too. And I, that was another thing that I felt so ashamed of. And that was something that my therapist said, this is normal. This is your body trying to recover. This is your brain trying to recover from the trauma that you're going through that you, you know, you have a chemical imbalance, you have postpartum depression. And I felt so embarrassed and ashamed of that. And Um, Now it just feels like this weird distant memory of being that person. And she kept saying, you will get better. You will get back to yourself. You won't be this way forever. And um, I don't know, just another thing I wanted to mention. And again, I'm sorry, that's a little bit out of place, but I just didn't want to end this without mentioning that because it came to my memory. But um, I will end with this because this is a lot um, maybe more... Uh, this is a little bit better wrap-up point. And this is something from an October 2020 conference talk from our favorite, Jeffrey R. Holland, on this topic. The talk is called Waiting on the Lord. And I think maybe we have quoted this before, but I'm just going to say it again. He said, 
Faith means trusting in God in good times and in bad, even if that includes some suffering until we see his arm revealed in our behalf. That can be difficult in our modern world where many have come to believe that the highest good in life is to avoid all suffering, that no one should ever anguish over anything. But that belief will never lead us to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And if this experience helped me to understand more what our Savior goes through or what He the perfect compassion that he has for others that he needs me to be better at then I am willing to do this and whatever else he needs me to do because I do ultimately want to be like him and when I pray please Heavenly Father help me to be more like my Savior this is what I'm asking for and I have to be willing to do it and so I am grateful for what this experience has taught me and I hope that I can be more like the Savior in His perfect compassion when I have other friends or family members or people in my circles who go through any kind of mental health challenges that I will, you know, try to be more like Jesus. Absolutely. Well, I think that this will help a lot of people and I think that you've been through something that will bless a lot of lives and share what you're sharing. Thanks, babe. All right. We'll see you guys next week. Thanks so much for listening to Mint Arrow Messages. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at Mint Arrow. Subscribe to our Apple Podcasts and rate and review us if you like us. And to get show notes, go to mintarrow.com slash podcast. And you can even sign up to get show notes emailed right to your inbox. And we'll email you every time there's a new episode. 